Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with episode 246 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are here to talk all things AEW and NXT, coming out of a busy week for both brands, AEW put on Winter is Coming, a very special uh, event show. Uh, I think it's the second annual uh, such show in Texas. Uh, NXT, you know, they're coming off of that war game show building towards New Year's Evil in a couple weeks. So both shows had an absolute ton going on for them. We're going to break it all down on today's show. Look, before we get into it, let me remind you off the top, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love this show, all your ratings, reviews. They help people find the show, tell them to listen, uh, tell them what you like about it, and just give them reasons to start listening to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Now, I said I was going to read all five-star reviews on the show, and I'm going to live up to that. But you know what? Uh, A little bit of a change here. I'm actually going to read a one-star review today because... In the history of wrestling podcast reviews that I've read for any of the shows I've ever been on, I got to tell you, I got the dumbest, truly dumbest one-star review ever, and I think you guys need to hear it. The title is Dumb with a Frowny Face, and it is, when you use Howard Stern's By Way of Larry Sanders shows, Hey Now, and then think a wrestler saying Hey Now is a nod to your podcast, that's when I bow out. So this person, whoever the hell you are, thought that we were being serious and not tongue-in-cheek, number one. And then number two, you like the podcast and have been listening for a very long time, but that turns you off to stop listening. It was so dumb when I read it. I couldn't believe it. Let me also tell you guys something else. As a podcaster, as someone who works in or has worked in this industry for a relatively decent period of time, you know, like four or five years now, something like that, there is almost no podcast out there That is a one-star podcast. Like our show, other wrestling shows, uh, sports shows, entertainment, whatever. If you don't like a pod, sure, you want to leave a negative review, that's fine. But the the truth is, it's probably a three-star pod or a two-star pod. It's very, very difficult to actually think that a podcast is one star. So to do that and to try to hurt people because you don't can't take a joke or don't understand a stupid reference on a show. I just want to tell that person to go to hell. I usually don't care if people leave negative reviews. It's fine. But I just found that to be the dumbest thing. Uh, Anyway, Chris, welcome to the show. There's vintage Chris Vanini. Um, Yeah, I just had to say that off the top, man. I I am here and you're right. Of all things to get really upset about, uh, that is that is a surprising one. You know, we'll we'll uh, we'll get L.A. Knight on the show one day and I I think we'll get to the bottom of it. But uh, yeah, surprised. And not only the review, but the frowny face as well on that review. Um, that that hurts a little bit, but uh, I agree. I don't know. I don't know what this guy's thinking. Look, you know, uh, I think Ben Affleck said this best in Boiler Room. Have you seen that movie, by the way? I have not seen that movie. What is wrong with you? How have you not seen these staple <laughs> these staple films of young adult adult men growing up when we did? But as he said, look, tell me you don't like this podcast. Tell me you don't like my opinions. Tell me you don't like my effing necktie. But don't tell me that this is a one-star show because I know this is not a one-star show. 
That's a paraphrase, of course, okay. of what he said in that movie. Boiler uh, Room came out in 2000. I was in fifth grade at the time. You're a little bit older than me. Sure, I think, sure. But I, I but think there's, three, there's a gap there. You were in fifth grade, sure. But like four or five years later, it's a movie that you would have watched. Like, you know, it's I, I don't I didn't never see a movie like like Coming to America came out when I was a, a baby, a child. But I've still seen that movie a thousand times. Like, yeah, I, I, I just I don't go back and watch old movies. I guess it's not really something I've I've done much unless my parents played it. We we discussed. Chris and I had discussed offline. Maybe we even did it on the podcast. I don't remember. But we're gonna do once football season is over. And when I say football season, I mean college and NFL. Uh, we are gonna do a Chris Vanini movie list. We're gonna put together. Um, I don't know, maybe ten films that we've discussed on the show. Maybe some that you guys are gonna bring up. Uh, in tweets, we'll go through, we'll figure out which ones he has not seen. And at some point we will do like two minute discussions on a bunch of films that we want to force Chris to see just so we can catch up with the rest of us, at least those of us um, who watch those types of movies. So uh, also you may notice before we get started with today's show, my voice is pretty much gone. Uh, I went out on a Wednesday night. And when you do that at my age, uh, yeah, you got washed, right? So I- I'm I'm done right now. I think my intro, my Hey Now uh, to open the show had more baritone to it. It sounded better. It wasn't as like high pitched. So, you know, not that I want this voice permanently, but if I could do it for the podcast, I think it might actually sound better. I don't know. You know, it, 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 it works today because your voice is, is taking a break and my ears are taking a break. Because okay. True. I was at winter is coming last night. Uh, AEW dynamite and rampage was here in the Dallas area. And I went to it. And I got to say, it was a loud crowd and my ears were, were feeling it for a bit after the show. So I think we, we sync up well here. Well, we are definitely going to uh, discuss your experience at Winter is Coming. What I figured is we can get into AEW. We'll go through the main event and then you can kind of talk about it. And then we'll go over everything else that happened on the show. Uh, so let's get to that today. Um, you know, guys uh, and girls who listen to the show or or I should say who are not frequent listeners of the show, the way we handled this episode, because the AEW and NXT audience, sometimes it's similar, sometimes it's not. Uh, We do them separately, of course. Uh, We pick one to start each week. Uh, Our episode descriptions have timestamps, so if you're only an NXT fan, you can fast forward to the end of the show. If you're an AEW person, just keep on listening. You're going to hear AEW Winter is coming in a moment, but of course, I hope you listen, as always, to the entire show. So Chris, let's kick it off uh, with AEW the entire week. We're going to uh, mixed together Dynamite and Rampage, but the the big match and the big show this week was AEW Winter is Coming, the second annual, the AEW World Championship on the line, Hangman Adam Page defending against Brian Danielson, and I believe it was Page's first defense, if memory yes, serves. It I believe it is too. Yep. So there's a lot to talk about here because this was a long ass match. I will do the absolute best I can. So. The first 15 minutes of this, I thought, were just extremely basic. It was very general wrestling. Uh, Hangman hit a moonsault outside, missed one inside. Brian got a near fall on a cradle. That was the turning point in the match that kind of let Danielson dominate for a while while Hangman was blatantly blading outside. Uh, so now we're 30 minutes in. I just That was the first 30. I, I gave it to you. I did the best I could. Uh, Hangman escaped the cattle mutilation and avoided Danielson's kicks. Uh, he put his knee into the post, Brian's. Uh, Hangman worked the knee with a figure four. As commentary reminded that John Silver took it out last week. I thought that was a nice touch. Page broke more submissions. He had a tombstone pile driver for a near fall. Then he kicked out of a crown suplex bridge and an avalanche backdrop. Hangman countered a gotch pile driver into the dead eye on the apron, the hardest part of the ring. 
Page flew off the top rope with Brian dodging him face first into a table. Danielson DDT'd him on exposed concrete. Hangman flipped out of an avalanche backdrop and hit a huge lariat. Brian then stomped Hangman and set up for the running knee finisher, but Hangman caught him for Deadeye in a 2.5. Page went for the buckshot lariat, but Danielson countered that into the LaBelle lock. Hangman escaped, hit a huge lariat, and then a buckshot lariat as the bell rang with the match expiring at 60 minutes, about, let's say, five seconds before we think, you know, Page would have won the match. So this one is a 60-minute time limit draw to open Dynamite. There were four commercial breaks, two double breaks, and of course, as I said, a draw finish. Uh, Brian, at this point, has had three huge matches in AEW. Two of them have ended in time limit draws, both on television. Uh, But he was on the opposite end of both, of course. He almost beat Omega, um, and then he almost lost to Page. Of course, the differentiation between those is Brian was a face when he almost won, and of course, Page was a face here where he almost won. Neither occasion the heel looked like they were going to win. So what I appreciated about this compared to the Omega match, this one basically ended, Chris, with a finish. Like, we saw the finisher. The next thing was the count. Whereas the Omega match, they were kind of still like fighting and brawling and it could have really gone either way. So I believe I downgraded the Omega match to 4.5 stars, I think, and an A. I don't remember. But here, the only thing I'd have done differently is cut out the first 15 minutes. But if you're doing a time limit draw finish, you can't. You have to have the first 15 minutes and they can't go full bore and go crazy for those first 15 because then they're going to be worn out for the next 45. This was a fantastic, fantastic match. Uh, I went 4.75 stars and an A+. plus. I, I kind of want to go five stars, to be honest with you. But I just think that when you don't have a real finish and you don't get that exhilaration from the crowd at the very end and when the crowd boos the finish, and I know they didn't boo AEW. They were booing just because they wanted the finish. But when you don't have that final moment, I don't know that I can realistically give a draw five stars. But no. it's still an A+. Plus. Great match. Um, I'm glad they did it this way, and I cannot wait for a rematch. Have you have you been to an AEW show yet? I have not been to an AEW show yet, and okay. um, they've come a few times in Miami. The issue with that is where I live. I do live in South Florida, but to get to the arena they play, um, public transportation doesn't drop you off right there. We do have a pretty cool train system. Even when uh, we did, or even if I would have taken that, Uh, You know, the pandemic's been happening. I'm trying to stay away from large public things like that. And it's just very far from me. It's it's probably an hour. Whereas if they played in Fort Lauderdale or West Palm or in the other arena in Miami, I could probably do it in 45 minutes. So, yeah, it's just very difficult. And I never had a motivation to go this this show. I know you went. Obviously, we're going to talk about it in a moment. Uh, If this show was in Miami, I would have gone. Yeah, the, the the show they play in in Dallas, it's a north it's a northern suburb of Dallas as opposed to the downtown Dallas uh, arena. That makes it only about half hour away from me. Mm-hmm. So they've come there three times. I've gone twice. I went to the first one. I missed the one this summer because I had gone to Money in the Bank, and then I think I went to Vegas for Mountain West Media Days. And then I wanted to get this one. And the crowd, the crowd is, is, you know, it's such a big part of AEW, but experiencing, experiencing, experiencing it with this match, this, this match went, 
an hour. The crowd did not get bored at all. They were completely into it the entire time. And that makes a difference for a long match like that. The first 15, 20 minutes, I agree. They were quite boring. And I was, I was just like, I was like, what is, is this it? This is what they're doing. I, it, the idea of a time limit draw had not even entered my head mm-hmm. at that point. But when, when they started the show with this and you're thinking, okay, well, you know, Brian's not going to win. And so that's, that's sitting over everything. Cause you, okay, you know, Brian's not going to win clean. So what exactly is going to happen? It's winter is coming. I'm thinking maybe we'll get some sort of interference of some kind. Obviously doesn't end up happening, but the crowd was in this the whole, the whole time. The one time it got a little weird and you mentioned hangman blading. I could not see that from where I was. I didn't know where I was. I'm pretty sure hangman got knocked out. No. So Uh, what what happened is when uh, Brian ran him into the post outside, when, when hangman missed that moonsault and then Brian started going on the offensive and then he stood stood in the middle of, of the ring and posed and was doing all that. He was wasting time. He was bladed at ringside. No, but, but I'm, I'm explaining when he did it. I'm just sure. Yeah. But the referee was doing the 10 count and then just straight up stopped and got out of the ring. I don't know what happened during or not during a commercial. My brother told me they went to commercial during something. I don't know. He sat outside the ring for like. It felt like five minutes. It, it was a very long time. Mm-hmm. And so we thought he was legitimately hurt. We see him bleeding. Oh, yeah. No, that was during the commercial break. Yeah. Okay, because yeah. yeah, they were the ref was doing a ten count, and then he just stops and gets out of the ring, and Brian gets pissed off in character, and is yelling at the ref. He he gets up and start, and everybody thinks Hangman's hurt, and so it, it, Brian's just kind of wasting time. Brian goes over to the ropes and starts uh, flipping the crowd off, and some I, someone like I, I missed it real quick. But I'm pretty sure someone threw something at him. Because then he reacted even more and some police came down and stuff like that. I think this all happened during commercial. Um, but Brian was just around taunting fans for, I swear, three or four minutes when when doctors and people were, were with Hangman outside. So my impression at the time was he's legitimately hurt. Um, they're, they're trying to make sure he's okay. Mm-hmm. And so they finally get back into the match after, seriously, five plus minutes. And I was a little uncomfortable watching because I thought, I, I think he's kind of hurt. We'll see how this goes. Um, the longer it went, the, the more clear it was Hangman was was okay. And, you know, I kind of got back into it. But uh, that was a really strange situation because we know AEW's history with, you know, letting some people wrestle with concussions and it's it's not been great. So that that comes into my mind. So Yeah, I just, I, I was, never, I never during the whole match thought he was legitimately hurt ever. Okay, because tell- I don't know. I'm just yeah. telling you from a TV perspective. Sure, right? yeah. I like I said, I yeah. don't know when they went to commercial or not, but the ref was doing a count. He got to like seven, and then he just stopped and got out of the ring and went over to Hangman, and 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 Brian started taunting the crowd and stuff like that. So it was a weird situation. I don't know exactly what happened, mm-hmm. but but that stood out. Then as we're getting toward the end, you know, you realize the time limit draw is coming, but the crowd was still into it. The, the crowd, you know, they knew it was they you knew it was probably going to be a draw, but but they. They bought into it. They, they, you know, they were excited to see what it was. There was a guy next to me who was complaining the whole time that it was too long and boring. But for the most part, the crowd was really into it. Well, what did you think about the match? I don't care really about what the crowd thought. Sure. I want to know what you thought. And, I thought um, it, I, I thought it was pretty good. I didn't think it was a classic because it never, it rarely felt like someone was in danger of actually losing. There were not many false finishes in terms of finishing moves mm-hmm. and a guy kicks out and we've got almost none or barely any of those. Um, so 
it was it was it was okay. I don't know. I, I don't remember the Omega match because it was a while back. But mm-hmm. yeah, my thought was just like this is great wrestling. They're doing great moves, loving it. But there was never a moment where Brian gets the pin, and I think he might win. And I don't know if I don't think Hangman got a pin off of Buckshot Lariat. So there was never a moment I thought this is it. Oh my god, I can't believe you kicked out. So that kind of I, I think that kind of weighs it down a little bit for me. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I look. I think I there there might be bias involved. Like Brian is probably, if you had to say who is the best wrestler in the world right now, I'd probably say him. Right? Actually, I, I'm gonna bring that up too. So Ric Flair said that, like literally yesterday, I think mm-hmm. he made that comment about Brian not being a great worker and whatever. And is there any part of you who thinks they decided to do 60 minute draw? You know, did 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 that play any role into it at all? Do you think into what? Into Brian doing a 60-minute match right after Ric Flair says that. Oh, um, no, I don't think so. I mean, yeah. no, because that had to be the booking. Because my assumption is they're going to do, rematch this at the next pay-per-view. Yeah. I, I mean. I just thought it was it was, it was was really interesting timing that after Ric Flair would say something like that. And Brian goes out and proves that, no, he is, proves he it, is yeah. the best worker that there is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, I, I, I thought it was a damn good match. Um, you know. I saw comments. I asked for people, you know, to tweet us and kind of say, hey, you know, what'd you think about Dynamite? Because I wasn't able to watch it until Thursday because uh, I was like I said, I was out last night, as you guys can tell. And, you know, a lot of people said eh, it's kind of repetitive with the two time limit draws. And I do agree with that. I do think Brian specifically doing two time limit draws in a however many months p- short period of time, you know, with two of the other top people in AEW is a little ridiculous, but if you put that aside and you just focus on the match that we got, like I said, the first 15 minutes were complete filler, like didn't need yeah. them. But if you took the last 45 minutes of that match, um, or even if you want, and you want to say the last 30 minutes of that match, it was really, really freaking good wrestling and entertaining. And Brian, I think did more for hangman page than Kenny Omega did like, like hangman page yeah. to me, looked like a better wrestler, work work rate in-ring wrestler coming out of the Brian match than he did the Omega match. And Omega is obviously also in that conversation of best wrestler yeah. in the world right now. You know, so. we, we had talked about going into this match that they hadn't made Hangman feel like the face of the company since he won the title. He'd wrestled, I think, one time in the month or so mm-hmm. since he won. He wasn't He was barely on most of the shows. He didn't feel like a big deal. But when his music hit, and crowd goes crazy and he comes out and he's standing there in the ring with the really nice, uh, you know, trunks, pants that he's got on. Um, he, he, he again looked like a star and you could see again, okay, I know why this guy is, is the big deal that he is, but it's not a great look for your first title defense to be a draw. Like, it, I, don't, I don't care who it is. And I, I like, I, I'm torn on the whole Dana Bryan two draws thing. Cause, cause on one hand, the story is Brian, can't beat the top guys in the company, but they can't beat him either. And if we at Revolution got Kenny Omega versus Hangman versus Brian, that would be insane. And it's per- and it would be perfectly set up to do that because of the draws. I don't know if Kenny's going to be healthy by then. Or yeah, not. I presume he's I, not. Yeah. I was just thinking on the drive home, like oh, like what the story they're telling with the with the draws is that Brian can compete with anybody in this company, but he hasn't beaten them. At the same time, though, Hangman hasn't racked up enough wins to the point where I, I think, you know, he 
feels like that top champion right now. It's the same problem Big E kind of has in, in WWE. Uh, you know, Hangman's got to start racking up some wins, I think. True, but the difference forward. is Hangman's had the title far shorter no, than sure. Big E has. I'm I mean, just, right, but yeah. he, he's only wrestled twice since he won the belt. Um, and, and, and this one was obviously a draw. He, he, he comes out of it looking good, obviously. I don't think it makes him look bad, but it still just kind of feeds into, I, I think, you know, we just, we need to see Hangman more. And this is another problem I had with this show is that after the match, we never got any other follow-up Correct on, on this. Or, or, and I, I, I'm not going to spoil Rampage, but I'll just say that nothing of consequence happens on Rampage. Um, literally nothing. And so we never got, hey, go backstage. What's Hangman's reaction? What's 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 Brian's reaction? Like, we have to wait a whole week for that. And for well, that, it is that, it is possible they taped something that you didn't say. But, it is possible. They didn't yeah. they didn't show it. But but that was just no. It was like it was just obviously the biggest thing of the show, the biggest thing of the company. And then after it ended, at least in the crowd, we never heard anything from it again for the next two and a half hours. Yeah, I, I do agree that they need I, I think they need to do more work to make Hangman Page not legitimate as a W world champion, just dominant. Like, like, feel like, he, feel like big deal. He needs, to he, yeah, like he needs deal. to come across as feeling like a big deal. And to me, even though he's over, he doesn't come across like a big deal. That's not a criticism of him. Really. It's more just the booking and, and the way this whole thing kind of has been handled. Yeah. But as far as I'm concerned, uh, Omega has no claim to another title match at this point. And Brian, you know, does. He definitely does. I just hope they don't rush it. You know, I want some space. I want, you know, I want there to be time here. And if they do it at the next pay-per-view, that'll probably work. At the same time, that's like three more months off, right? That's a, or two more months off. That's a ways to go. So we'll see if they can get there and do that. But this was a damn good match. Um, and it was definitely the best thing that AEW did across Dynamite and Rampage this week. It was also... Really, the only thing of significance, I think, that happened across either show this week. So with that, let's kind of get into everything else that happened. I'm going to, you know, mix it up a little bit. I, originally, I was going to do Winter is Coming Together and have us do it almost like a pay-per-view card. But that's not really how the show was. It, the no. rest of the show, the second half was, it was pretty much a letdown as far as I'm concerned. And you can kind of weigh in as we go. Uh, so instead of doing Winter is Coming separately, I'm just going to mix it all together. So. On Dynamite, we had Wardlow versus Matt Seidel. Wardlow kept power bombing Seidel when Sean Spears grabbed the mic, told him stop, just finish the match. Wardlow won in two minutes. Then Spears beat Seidel with a chair, told Wardlow he needs to pick up champagne for MJF. And I really had no takeaway here. But my assumption is that they're starting to, they've already planted seeds for Wardlow turning on him and, you know, you know quitting basically his job as his protector bodyguard, whatever you want to call it, muscle. Um, but now I think they're planting more seeds more frequently. Like they're, it seems like they're getting to a point. I don't know if it's going to be the next pay-per-view, maybe two. So maybe like five months from now, but it feels like before MJF goes after the title, his next major feud is going to be Wardlow. Yeah, I, I think so. Obviously Spears says they need to go pick up. I forgot. Go pick up something for champagne. For MJF, champagne for for MJF. I literally just said it like two seconds. Yeah. Ago. Um. And and <laughs> I was I was just thinking I was thinking I was just, in my mind I was back in the arena thinking about what was oh, okay. what was going on. Um. Yeah. I just not really much to say. Um, yeah. That's fine. Other you than come. it was power bound him a few times and that was it. And so that, not, not much reaction. So on Rampage last week, Sting and Darby Allen were backstage 
Tony Khan, uh, Tony Khan, Tony Schiavone asks a question when, of course, they didn't even get a chance to say a word when FTR randomly attacked them from behind for no reason that I can figure out. And then Tully Blanchard kicked Sting in the balls. I was just dumbfounded by that on Rampage. Yeah, again, just a random thing that happened and there's not much to it. It it, it, it comes into play later, but... Like there yeah, wasn't just, an explanation that they were no. angry because they lost the title match, which we'll talk about, or they had a vendetta against Sting. Um, th- there's a million things that they could have picked a reason for why they did it, and they just didn't. They just It was just an attack. Yeah. Uh, uh, so on Dynamite, the main event was the Dynamite Diamond Ring, MJF versus Dante Martin. MJF shit all over Texas uh, to open, and I thought it was a pretty smart way to ensure that if there were any remnants of cheers for him from last week, people who wanted to cheer for him, that they just slammed that door shut. They basically said, nope, he's a heel. Don't even think about it. I liked that. I thought that was really smart. MJF shit on CM Punk's terrible promo from last week, which I loved. He also said, (laughs) truthfully, that all Punk has done in AEW is wrestle for far too long against a bunch of mediocre talent. And he is in no way deserving of an AEW world title match or anything like that. In fact, he just was kind of acting and wrestling more like Ryback, which I thought was a pretty funny comment. Then he said Martin had no charisma and MJF doesn't have to claim to be the best in the world like Punk. He just is the best in the world. Loved that promo, Chris. Let, let me tell you, when his music hit, the entire arena immediately stood up and was just booing. This dude is so freaking over and you don't even I don't even think you can fully sense it until you see him live because as soon as that hits everybody knows all right this is a big deal walking out now we we had some other matches we had some other stuff but this is a top top guy this is a pillar of the company (laughs) and and the promo was the, the way he transitioned from shitting on Texas to CM Punk to Dante Martin, he covered it all. He covered everything that's going on with him in the span of just a couple minutes. It was it was brilliant mic work. And in a company that doesn't just do a lot of promos, like that was one thing I noticed about the whole event was that compared to being at a WWE show, there wasn't much of the wrestlers talking to us in the crowd at the, at the AEW show. It, it, we didn't even get a lot of the backstage promos to show up on the screen. It was just a, a lot of wrestling. So when CM, when MJF is talking... You know, everybody's even more engaged. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, nothing like nothing magical about this promo or anything, but just, oh, man, when his music hit, everybody just immediately to their feet because they know that that's a that's a big deal walking through the curtain. And that was that was that was something to experience. MJF gets the reaction that I want Paige to get. He yep. has that feeling. You know what I mean? I'm not saying Paige doesn't get cheered. He does. But. It's the, it's the feeling when he comes out, this is a main eventer. Like, yeah. it's not even a question about it. You know what I mean? And, 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 yeah, and, and, and Bully Ray actually made the tweet the other day or whatever that he he wants wrestling to have a real heel who makes the guy uh, makes the guy across from him. And my first thought was, well, MJF's obviously that guy. I'm surprised he wouldn't think so. And then experiencing it, MJF is that guy. He, yeah. he elevates whoever's across from him. And Bully Ray even tweeted, I think, after that segment, he said, great effing job kid or something like that so yeah M- mjf is that dude he he is that real real heel that we don't get much of in, in wrestling today. for sure okay so let's talk about the match uh martin did a tope con hero over the turnbuckles then a twisting moonsault over the ropes and then a springboard shooting star press 
all in succession, which was really impressive. They did like 20 different pinning counters. MJF had a Liger bomb for near fall. Ricky Starks put MJF's foot on the bottom rope after a springboard moonsault. Then MJF won with Salt of the Earth to retain the ring for the third straight year. The lights went out as FTR came in to hoist uh, MJF on his shoulders, on their shoulders. Sting and Darby Allen appeared when the lights came back on, beat up FTR afterward, and then CM Punk made the three-on-two save with a bat. So look, I fully respect uh, Dante Martin's athleticism. Like I said, that trio of high-risk maneuvers was incredibly impressive. Um, he is very fun to watch, but he's so smooth, so he, natural smooth when he does that stuff. But I, I just don't enjoy his matches. Like I, I respect the moves and the ability to do them. I don't find him particularly believable, entertaining, whatever the case. I thought this was an entirely underwhelming match for the ring, which while stupid, I think the ring is dumb. Uh, they've built into something important that, you know, they're trying to make a, a key thing. And they've done it now three times where they've done, you know, a tournament or they've done this or that in order to give someone the stupid ring. So, yeah, I thought the main event didn't suck, but I didn't care about it at all. They set up a trios match for next week with the people we mentioned. And that's going to be fun from a star power standpoint on a Christmas show, on a holiday show. So that's pretty cool. But there's really still no reason for the FTR and Sting and Darby Allen deal. So this just was a whole bunch of nothing for me. I mean, I just didn't like any of it, honestly. I mean, I liked MJF's promo. Everything else, I could have done with that. I mean, I liked it. It just didn't feel like main event, especially for winter is coming. I mean, I, I liked it, the idea that they're creating something with stakes with the ring. Sure, it's a gimmick or whatever, but it's something. You, you've got a young Dante Martin. You're trying to elevate a, a face against a heel. I got that. It, it all works fine. It just it didn't feel main event. And when the lights went out, I was hoping for something big because winter is coming is when they had a lot of reveals last year, surprise returns. We didn't get any of that. So when it was Sting and Darby, I was like, oh, okay. And then just, yeah, kind of, that was the end of the show. And it sets up for next week. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it'll be a fun match to watch, but it'll be in one year, out the other when it's, when it's over. It's kind of whatever. So on Dynamite, uh, we had Malachi Black, who got a really cool video package, vignette, whatever you want to call it. He said the human race is purposefully destructive and cruel and that a strong house is built on a strong foundation. Black screamed at a dude wearing a cloak and then spit black mist in his face. Then the dude vomited black shit after that. Uh, Black said that violence is part of who you are. You're so much more than a king. So that's a specific reference to a wrestler. I'm not going to name or spoil for people who don't know. It's not someone who's been in WWE. It's just someone that's ring of honor, independent type of wrestler. Um, but it's, it's someone who Alistair or Malachi Black has a longtime relationship with. And it seems like that person is signed with AEW. So I thought all this was pretty intriguing. The idea of Black leading a real faction is great. We barely see Inner Circle or Pinnacle together. In fact, the FTR... And MJF pairing, it's like, we see them, maybe we see MJF with Wardlow, but we don't see FTR. Like, it's very, very strange how that whole thing uh, has kind of dissipated. Dark Order has become straight comedy. The Nightmare Family, the Factory are basically non-existent these days. The HFO sucks. So all those factions AEW had and were building up, they've largely faded. So if they build this as a faction and not just a tag team, which is what I assume they're going to do. This is going to be really welcome and hopefully a very serious, good take 
on all the stuff that Black has wanted to do. I am I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, I, I mean the, the 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 video package was great. You know, it it always is. Um, I just think sometimes the presentation of Malachi in the arena hasn't been so good. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I've seen the rumors of who who's going to be the guy. I'm kind of ambivalent about him. Um, so we'll see. It they're they're trying something, and so I'm looking forward to seeing what it is. But you know, until then, we'll see. Uh, the Varsity Blondes later were upset that Julia Hart got black, missed it in his face, in her face, and called Malachi Black a coward. Brian Pillman Jr. tried to calm down Griff Garrison, uh, but he challenged Black instead to a match next week. So we'll get that match. We don't really need to talk about it. Uh, I thought the promo segment backstage was mediocre at best. Uh, Eddie Kingston made a 10-man tag team challenge with Santana and Ortiz, Pentagon, and Ray Phoenix against 2.0 Danny Garcia and two other people of their choosing. I was so confused by this, right? So number one, why is Chris Jericho not involved when he was the one who was attacked? And number two, why is it a 10-man match when Pentagon and Phoenix have absolutely nothing to do with this? Why not just do a six-man tag, Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz against 2.0 and Danny Garcia? I I just thought that was incredibly strange to do it this way. I'm guessing they just wanted the tag team champs on the show, so they threw them into a, a five man. But it, it feels for being the tag team champs, it feels like they are often put in multi man situations that doesn't highlight them specifically. Maybe that's because of speaking English or something. I I don't know, but yeah, I, you know, I saw the match. I watched it. You know, uh, it, it'll air on Friday, but again, nothing of consequence. It was just a kind of a multi man. Mess of a match, so it was it, it was um it was weird. I, the the promo package, the 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 face to face interview they do before the match is pretty funny, um so you can see that. But uh, yeah, it was, the whole thing was weird and just kind of just all right. Throw a bunch of guys together again. Nothing of it wasn't of consequence. Didn't matter. Yep. Uh, on Dynamite, we had Hikaru Shida against Serena Deeb. Deeb did a figure four around the ring post and two swinging neck breakers. Shida came back with a Falcon Arrow. Deeb exposed the turnbuckle and got run into it in typical heel fashion with Sheeta falling over in a jackknife cover for the win in 12 minutes. This was a really good match, I thought, to end the feud, I think, hopefully, end the feud. But if memory serves, it wasn't the best of their matches, which the final one usually should be. That's the goal. I'd have preferred like a more legitimate finish. I just went 3.25 stars and a B. I, I just didn't think it was that good, although they certainly are talented. I just I was underwhelmed by it. Yeah, I thought it started out pretty hot, um, you know, with, with Sheeta running into the ring and just them getting into it. That that fit the story of the feud. But again, we didn't really get a go home segment to this last week. I don't think there was barely any mention of it. So it, it, it doesn't have as much, you know, emotion behind it when it's been a couple weeks since we saw him. And if this is supposed to be the big blow off match. So, yeah, you know, it, it was a good match. It was fine. You know, if that's if that's a big blow off, kind of surprised. Uh, at the finish, but you know it was good, and these two are you know very talented, and it was good to see them get something. Good to see a women's feud get some time and and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, everything else here is from Rampage. Uh, the big match on Rampage this past week was the tag team championship on the line: Lucha Bros against FTR. Uh, Dax Harwood did a slingshot Liger bomb on Ray Phoenix. Cash Wheeler used the title when Phoenix inadvertently hit Dax with it uh, instead. Phoenix did a tightrope punt kick and then tried a frog splash. When Dax caught him with the title to the face, but it was only a near fall. Pentagon was weird. He was like half in the ring and could have easily crawled in to break the fall, but just didn't. 
And then he fell outside the ring without being touched and just stood there, not on the ring apron for like two or three minutes. And it completely distracted me. Like I, I didn't understand why he'd be walking around ringside when he's healthy and, you know, trying to get tagged in. It's a tag team match. It was, it was very, very weird. FTR did the big rig and Penta splashed to break the fall. Phoenix hit a rolling cutter. Cash caught him with the gory bomb. The Lucha Bros finally hit a flying stomp fear factor as Phoenix dove out of the ring for the win. So the final four minutes of this match, I thought were tremendous. The Penta thing, like I said, it really distracted me, like legitimately. But other than that, it was really, really good booking, really, really good wrestling. The earlier part of the match was kind of basic, and I was surprised by that. I thought it would be a lot hotter all the way through Bell to Bell. I'm in 3.75 stars and a B plus, like just really good wrestling. I really, truly hope this is the end of this feud. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they, they're they're part of a matchup on um, on, uh, on, on on Rampage, I think. I, I think no, the, no, uh, no, no, it wasn't. I'm no, losing yeah. track of how many people are involved in this. Um, yeah, yeah never mind. Um, yeah, it was good. I mean, like I said, the last handful of minutes were really exciting, and I kind of expected just more of that throughout the match because we know these guys can. These guys are two of the best teams uh, there are. So, yeah, it was good. Again, hope it's the end of the feud. This is one of those rare situations where AEW's done rematches and stuff. So, um, yeah, we'll see moving forward. It looks like, again, it looks like FTR are are now in the the Darby Sting thing. So, I guess that's nice. Yeah. On Rampage, we had Adam Cole against Wheeler Yuta. There was good action in it. Cole countered a splash with double knees and stared down Orange Cassidy as he hit the last shot for the win. I just couldn't believe this was the main event of a TV show. Like, there was a post-match attack because, of course, there always is. Uh, The heels took out the best friends crew. It ended with Cole kicking Orange in the balls. So they had two people get kicked in the balls on one one one-hour show. Then there was a BTE trigger for Trent, I think, to finish the entire thing. With Yuta... The guy has good cardio. He can fly around. He can do a bunch of stuff. He just doesn't bring much to the table. And I don't know with all this huge roster they have, like why they're shoving this guy into main event matches with Adam Cole. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. This was average. Actually, it wasn't average. It was below average. Um, On Dynamite, there was an eight-man tag team challenge made by the heel side here, saying they wanted to destroy Trent's mom's van and end Sue's career which was funny because obviously she doesn't have a wrestling career. They (laughs) made some jokes about that. Then Cole said he'd have a great Christmas gift on next week's Dynamite. I have to presume he's alluding to the debut of Kyle O'Reilly there. So yeah, all this happened. I don't really have any further take on it. Chris, you got anything? Um, No, I'll just say that the match that they have on Rampage is a lot of fun. It it, it is complete opposite of the 10 man that they do in the main event, which is a complete mess. Cool. Um, So, uh, yeah, this was fun. Good. And, and, and yeah. Trent's back in the ring. You'll see him on Friday, obviously. Um, so that was exciting. And yeah, R- Rampage is just kind of a... Rampage is a show. It's just not much important stuff is happening on it. And all it does is kind of either have a multi-man match or set up a multi-man match in the next week or something like that. It's, you know, the ratings have really gone down on that show. And you can see why, because it's just, it's not something you have to watch. I've stopped watching it uh, until Wednesdays now. So, because, you know, I was watching it immediately after SmackDown. Mm-hmm. And I just, I couldn't justify it anymore because things just weren't happening. So now I watch SmackDown Friday, Raw Monday, NXT Tuesday. I watch Rampage midday, Wednesday, and then I get ready for Dynamite. And that that's one of the reasons I connect all this together because I'm watching yeah. it 
all on the same day. And also we podcast about it all on the same show. So it just makes sense to do it that way. On Rampage, Hook made his debut match, had his debut match against uh, Fuego de Sol. He had an action Bronson track as his entrance. I thought that was really sweet. Hook did a crotch suplex and a high collar suplex, then won appropriately with the Taz mission now called Red Rum. I thought his presentation was great. I'm sure it was cool for Taz to call his son's first AEW match. I really don't even have any nitpicks at all. I do think it's strange how Hook has been memed into a big star (laughs) by fans, despite literally never having done anything except like stand around. But despite that being the case, his presentation was awesome. Like, like I wish he hadn't gotten that big headwind because I'd like to start that headwind now. You know what I mean? Seeing him in this match and saying, you know what? This kid's got something like I think he's going to be pretty impressive one day. So like now it feels like you're jumping on a bandwagon. But no, like I judging him off this match, he has a really good look. I loved pre-match where he just turned his back to the to uh, Fuego and like crossed his arms and just looked into the corner. The referee's like, hey, are you ready? He turned around and they started the fight. No one does that. Like that's really unique and different. The way he paraded around the ring. There was a lot of Taz, of course, in him. Um, but he's a completely different type of wrestler. It, I, I liked it a lot. I, I thought I he has a lot of promise. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, there's going to be people upset that we didn't lead off the podcast with this one. Apparently. That, that we, yeah. saved, that we saved it for this. Yeah, I mean, like, the hook meme just in general is funny. You know, whether it's, um, you know, just, just the pictures of him or some of the things he's done in the various video blogs around of him just kind of being an odd, an odd quiet dude. Mm-hmm. I was, um, I didn't know what to expect coming in. I was like, I was like, if he's not good, this is going to be a mess. But if he is good, it's going to blow up like crazy. And he was good. And it blew up like crazy. And he outsold CM Punk on Pro Wrestling Tees over the weekend. <laughs> over the weekend. And he got uh, highlights of him got cheers at the at the Dynamite that I was at. He actually came out once. He just like walked out, stood there for a minute and walked back. And people went crazy for it. And so like, like, yeah, it's 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 tongue in cheek a bit. But that was a really exciting debut. He, the types of judo moves and other things like that, that we haven't really seen from other uh, wrestlers. So this is going to be fun. And obviously, you know, don't overexpose him and, 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 and we'll see. And we got people trying to compare him to Dominic Mysterio. Like we, first of all, you don't need to compare them. You don't need to pit them against each other. And we've only seen one match of hook. We'll, we'll see They're They can both be exciting in their own different ways, but hook was a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Cause you know, AEW got a lot of attention in the early fall with new people. They keep bringing new people in. That's how they keep the show fresh as opposed to actual stories. They just keep bringing in new people time and time again. And now Hook is Hook is the new fresh thing. So, you know, we'll see where things are at in three months with him. But right now, uh, this is a really fun, exciting debut. And then lastly on Rampage, we had Ruby Soho, Ty Conti, and Anna Jay against Nyla Rose, Penelope Ford, and the Bunny. They all traded signatures and finishers without any tagging. Bunny used brass knucks on Jay, then Nyla Rose beat her with a beast bomb. I thought there was nothing noteworthy here in wrestling or in storyline. I mean, I know, you know, there's a match set up, of course, for the TBS tournament, which has now taken, I think, two full weeks off. And I wasn't sure if the matches were continuing next week or not. Maybe they're continuing in January when it starts on TBS. I'm not totally sure, but I found this boring. Just nothing to it at all. Yeah, again, just kind of one of those multi-people tags. It's just a house show. It's what a lot of Rampage, uh, a lot of Rampages. Cool. 
So that is it from this week in AEW. Did you have anything? Thank you. Real, real quick. I, yeah, I, I was setting you up. Calm down. Are you are, you are, you are, you are. I'm, I, don't jump on me. Chris, <laughs> do you have anything else you would like to say about the experience of watching Winter is Coming Live? Yes. Uh, <laughs> took, I t- took a bunch of notes during the show. Um, go, go I it. mentioned it kind of already, but the lack of just general promos was weird that there was barely any talking. Was, even the backstage segments, a lot of them we didn't get to see. Um, Andrade was on Dark Elevation, just kind of reemphasized kind of where he is right now compared to maybe where he was in WWE and it's kind of not doing much. Um, Thunder Rosa, huge pop on Dark Elevation. Cool. Um, obviously, you know, she's got Mexican ties. We're in Texas. She came out with a Texas flag, but people went crazy for her. Love her. Um, right before the show, Tony, Tony Khan comes out. Tells us some of the people who are going to be wrestling on the show. And he's like screaming like, like this is going to be one of the best rampage episodes we've ever had and getting the people fired up. And it absolutely was not. But <laughs> um, he, he, he did the same thing afterward uh, after rampage as well. Just came out yelling and stuff. He brought CM Punk out to just talk to the crowd and say, bye uh, punk. Um, Punk says, Punk said Texas is a lot louder than Long Island, and Long Island's a shithole. And by the way, their hockey team sucks. <laughs> so that was kind of a funny acknowledgement of, of that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the biggest thing is just it, it, it's, it's, it feels like when I used to go to NXT shows when they were traveling, where it's a crowd that trusts the company and is fully bought in on whatever they do. Um, there, there's not a cynicism about it at all and even the things that i necessarily didn't love can't deny that the crowd there loved every single second of it so uh it's a fun experience going out to an aw show i would definitely recommend uh, anybody go out if you haven't and um also the crowd was a lot bigger (coughs) bigger for this one than the first one i went to back in 2019 so Mm -hmm. place is completely packed every seat filled so it's a fun time what i'm trying to decide is um, whether to go to the March show. I forget what the name of it Re- is. Yeah, Revolution. Revolution. Um, it's in Orlando. It's a drive. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's a freaking yeah. drive, right? Yeah. Um, but I, but I, I kind of want to go. I think it's going to be one of those situations where I, and I never do this like for WrestleMania, right? Or SummerSlam, you just go. You don't think twice about it. Um, but for this one, I think I need to see the card. If it's going to be a three-hour drive plus hotel and all that, I think I need to step into it and kind of say, all right, what are you giving me? Like, what's this car going to look like? And is it something I want to put that much effort into? If it was the same as the last show, full gear, I'd have gone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a no, that was a great card. No-brainer to go. But they're trying to follow that up. And I, I don't see, as the storylines are progressing right now, exactly what that's going to be. Like, are they really going to push CM Punk and MJF for two and a half to three more months and save it for that show? Um, are they going to be able to wait that exact same length of time for the Daniel Bryan or sorry, Brian Danielson? I, I, I will figure that out eventually. I will stop <laughs> doing that one day um, for the Brian Danielson uh, hangman Adam Page match. Can they actually delay it that long? Uh, you know, I don't know the answers to those questions, but I guess we'll find out. That's all I can say. Yeah. So th- this was yeah for for this being kind of a pay per view type TV show, mm-hmm. ended up not being as big of a deal 
I think uh, I think as I thought, no surprise it, debuts, no surprise returns, none of that. So that was a little disappointing. I think that this may have been. I don't. I don't want to say the worst. That's not the right word. Um, the least eventful special yeah. TV show that they've done in a very long time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so with AEW in the books, let's move on to NXT, the first show that they've had with Johnny Gargano and Kyle O'Reilly having exited the company brand, at least for now. You know, we'll see what happens with Gargano in the future. As usual, we will start with the main event and then kind of uh, go in order of what was important on the show. So the main event was Roderick Strong versus Braun Breaker. Carmelo Hayes confronted Strong backstage, told him he's the A champion. Trick Williams found a drawing that Dexter Loomis did of Loomis stalking him. Then as far as the match goes, Braun did a really long delayed vertical suplex. Strong slammed him into the announce table. Breaker had a big run with some slams and a Frankensteiner for a near fall. Strong got his running forearms and an Olympic slam for a near fall. Breaker caught Strong flying for a slam and then hit a press power slam for the squeaky clean win in about 10 minutes. Malcolm Bivens was really furious after it was over. Tommaso Ciampa ran in, caught Braun leaving the ring, hit a draping DDT. Champa said War Games was in battle. The NXT title is a war, and Braun is back in the deep end. Then he kissed him on the cheek, which I thought was pretty funny. So look, you can be mad at this if you want, right? Like Braun beating Strong is tough to swallow for some. And I would put myself probably in that camp as well. But you have to remember, this is not the old NXT. And given Strong is the cruiserweight champion, the kayfabe like size differential, it's an easy factor to overcome in a promo next week from Bivens or Strong or whoever. You can easily get over it. This was a fun match. Strong did a great job of making Braun shine, just like Champa did in their title bout. The post-match of Champa attacking was obviously perfect. I'm still super apprehensive about a possible title change at this New Year's Evil show, but I am holding out hope that they're smart enough to wait on it, even if that's Champa like turning heel and cheating in order to survive or something like that. But this feud just seems like it. they don't want it to end without Breaker winning the title. And it's just way too early for him to do that. I don't understand why that would be your decision. So we'll worry about that in the future. This match, 3.75 stars and a B plus. Strong was just so freaking good here. Really, really good. One more note. I assume that with this Strong and Carmelo kind of back and forth, that they're going to do a feud to possibly merge the North American and Cruiserweight Championships. I'd like to see Strong get that, of course, for the same reason why I want Champa to retain the title. Some of these rookies, it's cool that they can possibly win titles or be in the title mix. But they really shouldn't win them all right away. Like it should really be a back and forth mix over an extended period of time. Either way, though, it probably is a good idea to get rid of the cruiserweight division. Given 205 Live is no longer a cruiserweight show, they need to rebrand that. They got to just completely redo all of this stuff. The cruiserweight title did work when it got put under Triple H. But with NXT changing, you have to kind of change with that as well. Uh, Grayson Waller said Johnny Gargano overstayed his welcome and showed footage he took after the attack last week as he got an absolute ton of heat from the crowd. He said Wade Barrett was irrelevant. Vic Joseph was a coward for not helping Gargano, who is Joseph's best friend. And Waller needed no one but himself to succeed in NXT. LA Knight later pulled up in a red Corvette, cut a good promo on Waller saying he talks a lot of trash for someone who hasn't accomplished anything. Backstage, Tiffany Stratton told Waller he's a terrible person, and Io Shirai screamed in his face for like a full minute, which was hysterical. The idea of Io 
absolutely beating the shit out of Grayson Waller is one I wish NXT would follow through with and actually had the guts to do, but they definitely will not do that. Uh, Braun Breaker also kicked him out of the rookie locker room later in the show. And then Waller later attacked Knight in the parking lot and stole his Corvette with a girl in the passenger seat. It's a good feud between these two, Waller and Knight. He's damn good on the mic, Waller, for like the fourth week in a row. This guy really has proficiency with promos. He definitely has star potential, as we've said, but the elements for him need to come together. He's got to change the ring gear and the weird mixed metaphor sports type of shit that he has going on. This Everything else he's doing with the social media and just being a total dirtbag heel, go in that direction. Get rid of the other stuff, and I think he'll be off and running. Knight, like I said, remains better as a face, and they've actually made me care about this feud. So really good stuff top to bottom. I got to give him credit for it. Cameron Grimes fought Duke Hudson in a no-holds-barred match. Grimes countered a razor's edge into a hurricanrana, putting Hudson into the barricade. Hudson then caught Grimes flying for a urinagi into a steel chair. Hudson opened a poker table, but Grimes jumped over it for a crossbody. Hudson then caught Caven, countering it into a powerbomb through the poker table, but Grimes' shoulders weren't flat for a count. Grimes then hit a poison rana and Caven through a chair, locking Hudson's legs together for a great one, two, three. Grimes then pulled off the wig to show Hudson totally bald. This was way better, like way, way better than their War Games match. We finally got to see Hudson's in-ring skill. Grimes was fantastic bell to bell. The comedy elements were there, but they were kept to a minimum. And the payoff at the very end of bald Hudson was great. Like we got that, you know, thing that you can chew on. You, You wanted it at War Games. They kind of teased it, and then you actually got to see it like a week later, two weeks later. The finish with the cave-in through the chair was extremely well done. Very, very smart. This was the opening match of the show. I thought they did a great job. I'm actually going to say the same grade, 3.75 stars and a B plus. There wasn't much else that really hit for me on NXT, but these three things for me really were the stars of the show. That was solid. Uh, There was a video package of Briggs and Jensen partying at a concert with Caden Carter and Casey Catanzaro. The guys were stunned when the girls danced together, like they were like making out or something like that, which of course didn't happen. It was kind of corny. I do like seeing wrestlers in like normal environments with regular people, but the whole video was weird. Ivy Nile fought Amari Miller. Malcolm Bivens cut a promo ahead of Diamond Mine's entire night, basically, uh, on the show. Strong stuff as usual from him. He is he is main roster ready. He's been main roster ready. Since the day he stepped foot in NXT, Bivens would be an incredible manager. Um, I, what I would have loved, honestly, is when they got rid of BFAB and the rest of Hit Row was still there, I would have loved for Bivens to step in as their manager. Like a record executive type of role would have been absolutely hysterical. But of course, they fired all of Hit Row for no reason whatsoever. Uh, Ivy did pull-ups and push-ups using Miller's body. She escaped some pinning combinations and won with a neck crank in like four minutes. No takeaways. Other than she's green, as we've said many times, but talented. She has a really good look. What's pathetic is how this match, which was basically a squash, can get four minutes when a main roster women's match this week got 45 freaking seconds. Like, and it wasn't a squash. Just so, so absurd when a four-minute match is like, oh, okay, that makes sense because it was going to be a squash anyway. Moving on, uh, Zion Quinn cut a promo about knowing Legato Del Fantasma's game, not taking their shit anymore. Robert Stone grabbed the mic and said he refuses to be disrespected. Then Vaughn Wagner stepped in and he said he was going to break more bodies. And Vaughn was the only one who was completely not believable in his very short promo. 
MSK and Shaman Riddle were hanging out. There was random garbage, a baseball bat, traffic cones, and John Cena's uh, spinner, United States Championship, all in that mystery bag. Riddle said their life was too cluttered and all they had to do was focus on being NXT Tag Team Champions. Then they pulled three scooters out of the bag. Look, I love all three of these guys. MSK is a great tag team. Riddle is one of my favorite people in WWE. But these segments have been so unfunny that it actually hurts. I, I Last week, I thought they were heading in a slightly better direction and they just kind of rolled right back. It's not funny. It's really not good. If you're going to try to do comedy, it needs to be funny. It doesn't have to be, you know, off the wall, Emmy winning smart comedy, but it needs to make you laugh. The shit just doesn't make me laugh. Harlan fought Guru Raj in his debut match. Joe Gacy told Harlan in the forest not to be afraid of who he is. Westside Gun was at ringside. Harlan kicked ass and won with a lifting Uranagi in one minute. Harlan then slammed um, Guru Raj's face into the canvas like three times. This went exactly as expected, of course. Later, they were in a stairwell getting escorted out by officials when Harlan grabbed uh, the Brian Kendrick's neck, took him, and yeeted him right down the stairs. It was a hysterically good spot in that moment. Uh, Kendrick sold it later with a neck brace. He was in the trainer's room. I just can't understand with Harland why they went for this particular look. Like You guys all know exactly what he looks like. I'm not going to say it. And it's just insane that they would think shaving this guy's head and having him wear those clothes is a good idea. He's got to grow his hair out again. He doesn't have to be the guy who looks like Brock Lesnar, but he needs a different look than whatever this is. The Lars Sullivan, you know, scary big monster dude didn't work. Most guys like that don't work. And even when you go back in the day to WWE and you think like, who were guys like that? Sid Vicious, right? Was someone like that? But he had a, a psycho gimmick, incredible music, if you remember with Sid, the curly blonde hair that was always soaking wet. And he would shake it and it would look really cool. Like there was an aesthetic to the entire thing. This guy, you just shaved him bald. He has a bunch of tattoos and you have him wearing like, like a smock, like a, like a army green smock. It's just, it's terrible. It's a terrible, terrible presentation. I don't know why they're doing it. They got to change the whole thing. Uh, Cora Jade fought Dakota Kai. Cora said she's medically cleared. Dakota warned her that Raquel Gonzalez is using her the same way that she used Kai. Mandy Rose was at ringside. It felt like there was a count, a pinfall attempt every 30 seconds. Kai grabbed the shovel. The referee took it and Jade rolled her up for the win. Dakota booted her, grabbed the shovel when Raquel Gonzalez ran in to make the save. Toxic Attraction came out, distracting so Mandy could make the attack. Gonzalez and Kai then fought into the parking lot. Raquel later said she needs to finish their feud in a street fight. This was just completely idiotic booking with Cora Jade. Look, Dakota Kai is a veteran. And not only is she a veteran, she's a great wrestler. She knows this isn't a no disqualification match. They continue giving Cora Jade wins when as a complete neophyte, like she is just getting her career started. She's 20. Any loss she takes would be completely excusable in every way, especially to someone as talented as Dakota Kai. It seems like they're trying to build her into a number one contender for Mandy Rose's title, probably at New Year's Evil, but it's not at all believable. Nothing they're doing makes any sense. It doesn't make sense to anybody because nobody says that. No, I don't understand because nobody understands. This isn't like the one, two, three kid 
shocking Razor Ramon one time and getting a win. They're having Cora Jade like win constantly all the time over a bunch of people. And she's not even that good. So like when you're watching her in the ring, she's green. Like, you know, maybe she will be really good in a couple of years. But when you're watching her, you're like this person with this talent level should not be beating this person with that talent level. And Dakota Kai as a veteran shouldn't be making a mistake that dumb. So I just hate this whole thing. I don't like what they're doing. As far as Gonzalez and Kai, their match is going to be great. Hopefully it's a blow off with Dakota debuting on the main roster, like after the Royal Rumble or something like that. That's what I would like to see. We had Tony D'Angelo against Andre Chase. D'Angelo showed off Pete Dunne's mouthpiece. He wore all black, which was a way better and more serious look for him than the white and blue that he had worn uh, previously. D'Angelo pulled Chase's sweater over his head for hockey punches. Then he hit his suplex and swinging fisherman's neckbreaker for the win. So I think D'Angelo is like a full-on babyface. I'm not totally sure. It was a fine match, nothing special. D'Angelo was cutting a promo when Dunn came out. D'Angelo tried to walk away and sneak attack him. When Dunn snapped uh, D'Angelo's fingers and then stomped on the little glass case carrying the mouthpiece and got his mouthpiece back. Look, I like them feuding, but there's really not much to the storyline based around a mouthpiece. And like, why would he even give a shit about the mouthpiece? You can go and get a really, really nice one at a sporting goods store for like $15. So, you know, and that's not even a really nice one. That just seems like a normal mouthpiece. So I don't really get that necessarily. I do think the match between D'Angelo and Dunn will be really good, but, you know, it's built on a very, very weak storyline is what I'm trying to say. We had Boa against Idris Anofe. Solo Sokoa washed backstage. Boa choked Anofe out under his jaw and then hit a roundhouse kick for the win. This was a boring ass match. Anofe has been there five months and he's light years more interesting than Boa, who it feels like has been there five years. So just ridiculous. Uh, we have the Grizzled Young Veterans against Jacket Time. The faces were on lashing out with Karen Q when she walked through like with a pillow. Uh, then they cut a promo in Japanese. The segment was cut down to be less of a show and more of an interview segment with Flash Legend. And that was a minor improvement, I will say. It's a little bit better. Still not for me. Uh, Jacket Time rolled in this match. They were they got most of the offense. Zach Gibson escaped a hoverboard lock with help from James Drake. Kushida ran them into each other. The Creed brothers went to attack when Jack of Time did a double topes and then combined for an elevated senton bomb for the win. NXT is clearly choosing to push Jack of Time. Kushida is great. Ikaminjiro is entertaining. But I cannot understand why the grizzled young veterans, who should be on the main roster right now as a top tag team, they can cut promos, they can wrestle. They are the entire package. They are being booked like absolute shit in NXT right now. It is terrible. I do not get it. They're gruffer. They're not colorful like the new NXT is trying to be. Why are they still down there? Just bring them up. It's an insane waste of talent. The match was decent. They're pushing Jack of time, so they got the win. Didn't love that, but they made it understandable, and they did give Grizzled Young Veterans an excuse because the Creed Brothers came out. Uh, NXT does continue to do one thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up here. Cool and very different from AEW and WWE main roster. It provides sports-like injury updates on talent during and after the show. In kayfabe, they told us on the show, Cora Jade re-injured her shoulder, Knight had various injuries, and Kendrick was being evaluated for a cervical fracture. And I like that. I think that's really interesting, unique, and different that they go to that length to present it as a little bit more real. And I really wish both other brands, WWE and AEW, would do that. 
They also announced that Dakota Kai versus Raquel Gonzalez in the street fight, Pete Dunne versus Tony D'Angelo, and Trick Williams versus Dexter Loomis are all next week on TV. The women's match, 1,000% should have been saved for New Year's Evil. I have no idea why they're just throwing that away on TV and not putting it on a big show. Hopefully, it's at least the main event and it gets a ton of time because Raquel and Dakota, street fight, blow off of the feud, that should at a very minimum be a TV main event. So I do hope that's what we're getting. So that was NXT this week. Uh, Like I said, it was top heavy. There were three things that were really good and everything else just kind of, for me, didn't really hit. Uh, This is coming out of a couple weeks of NXT 2.0 where I was really bullish, not necessarily on the entire show or the brand or the concept, but I did enjoy a lot of the things that I had seen on the show. This definitely, like I said, a step down. So that's it uh, for this episode, this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I appreciate you guys listening as always. A reminder that getting over this day, every day. So please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and review, let people know how much you love this show. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting overcast we will be back on tuesday for our wwe episode we're going to talk not only smackdown and raw but kevin owens re-signing with wwe some really big news that came out we were going to put it on today's show i decided this is going to be a packed show let's save it a little bit so we will talk about that on tuesday also on tuesday we will give you the schedule for the remainder of 2021 when we're going to have special episodes when we're going to have voting for the Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. the Meaties. So lots of stuff coming still here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast before the end of 2021. With that, I bid you adieu and we'll leave you with three final words. Bye for now.